all over the house this evening. Let's sing this old hymn of the church, There's Wonderful Power in the Blood. Let's sing together. So we sing, Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the
good evening. As you make your way back to your seats this evening, let's remain standing for worship. We're going to open again with a word of prayer and then jump right back into worship. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy and grace. Lord, we thank you that you are a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we just thank you that we are in your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Lord, and just, Lord, we just ask tonight, God, that your praises, would, the praises go up and your blessings would flow down. Father, I'm asking tonight, God, in the solemnness and sacred of the Lord, Lord, we have so many that are sick. God, there's a lot of folks that are battling flu-like symptoms and sinus infections and other things. God, some that are, Lord, battling injuries and, and, and Lord, shoulder issues and, and hand, hand issues and feet issues. Lord, there's just a lot of needs in the house. But, Lord, we know you're a healer. We know you're the great physician. And so, Lord, we ask the Lord, though it may seem like small in number in this house, Lord, you said if just two or three would be in the middle and gathered in your name, you would be in their midst. So, Lord, will you just come down and just bless us real good, Lord, on this Sunday evening and let us just have something to take with us to hold on to to keep us for this week. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray and ask and the people of God said amen. 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 Let's sing great and mighty together.
so we sing. We have come to worship the Lord. We have come to worship. We have come to worship the
of you, Lord. For we magnify the name of Jesus. We glorify the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the name of Jesus. Let's sing this together. For I love you, Lord. Stand keep you flat just for a moment. And I live by praise and glory and honor that's due your name father there is nothing that can be said or done god that can be any greater than lifting up the name of jesus father lord i pray lord that you would let the sweet aroma the sweet sound the sweet worship that has been experienced in this place tonight god let it not fall on deaf ears let it not, God, just be something we do just to fill the time or something we're supposed to do just because it's a Sunday afternoon or evening worship service. But, God, let it be our heart's cry. God, let it be something, Lord, our anthem of worship, our anthem of praise. God, where we come into this house and we gather together, God, to uplift your name because we know your name is where there's power. We know it. your name. Demons have to flee. Hell shudders. We know it. your name. Marriages come together. Healings take place. God, we know that there's no other name by under heaven and earth by which men must be saved, but it's had the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, God, let this sweet spirit and this aroma of worship that's in this house today just settle in this place, make residency in this place this evening. And Father, we would forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name at that name. We give you all the praise and glory. Jesus Christ, our Lord, we believe and ask these things. The people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated briefly in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Mm. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Second Samuel chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 9, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll 
be reading down from verse 1 through verse 7 this evening. Let me say to uh, all those that are watching online, uh, we welcome you to church. Thank you for being with us today. If you stream this morning or if you're streaming tonight, we appreciate that. Also, let me say, I, I know I don't know if Brother and Sister Art are watching tonight or not. Sometimes they do, but if they are happen to be watching tonight, let me say thank you to him for uh, filling in this morning uh, in my absence uh, as I was uh, on assignment helping Dr. Hill uh, at a 100th celebration uh, of the Dillon Church of God. Uh, they celebrated their 100th birthday. Uh, so there was a special day for them today as well. And for all those that helped with the Veterans Day uh, commemoration service from the programs to the videos to the readings to the singing to the worship team, all the parts that made Sunday morning be Sunday morning, thank you so much for letting the show, if you will, go on. Uh, the old adage is one monkey doesn't stop the whole show. Um, I learned a long time ago, one monkey doesn't necessarily stop sh- stop the show, but depending on what that monkey does, it may have to change the show up. So, so, uh, But I appreciate all of the folks that jumped right in. Miss Carol shifting over to the piano and the band moving around and singers leading songs that they normally have help with but were on their own with today. And so I appreciate that as well. And... Uh, we're going to jump right into the message here in a moment, but when we go to prayer in a moment, we've you know, got a lot of folks that are sick and not feeling well, and um, also, you know, Brianna went with me and, and traveled uh, with me this weekend. When she came home today, she, she got very sick, and uh, I'm actually supposed to be heading out of town tomorrow, tonight into tomorrow and Tuesday to finish up my last of my nas- National Institution of Christian Leaders uh, seminar. Uh, to finish up in that course work, if you will. Um, so uh, that's where Brianna is tonight. She is not here because um, she's tired and just laying out. She is real sick. Um, in fact, the last message that I got, that she was headed over to her mom and dad's house because I was going to be in church just in case if she needed anything, somebody would be with her. So they were going to get her, and uh, she was going to go stay there tonight and make sure she was under uh, taking care of um, but she's supposed to work this week we're not sure how that's going to work but she was a trooper she made it there and maybe had a good weekend but uh, she's really battling right now I don't uh, know we don't think it's the flu um, but we maybe a, a significant sinus I mean a significant ear infection in her ear infection her ears are very painful uh, she says it literally is just they won't stop throbbing she does have the drainage and everything else, but just her ears are just pounced. She said they're, they're ear piercing in pain. So I'm, I'm not sure, probably pretty confident she's not watching, but I do want us to make sure we pray for that, for her in just a few moments as well. Um, and, and there are countless others that are sick. Uh, the Carlson families all have the flu. They thought it was strep throat, but it's actually the flu. Uh, and countless others are sick as well, but... Um, but God's still good. He's still good. And uh, even when even when people battle sicknesses, sinuses, ear infections, flus, pneumonia, etc., God's still in control. And uh, I believe he can touch them as well. 
I heard services went well today, a good crowd in service today, and so thank you for supporting Pastor Art and them today as well. All right, let's jump right into the word of the Lord. Second Samuel, uh, chapter number two, uh, Second Samuel chapter number 9, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to look at a famous scripture that many of you have probably, um, or famous story, many of you have probably read before, but I'm, I'm going to look at it in a different light. As you know, our mission and vision for this year is to reach, disciple, and pray one person, one family, one community member at a time. And on Sunday morning, we're going through a series that we'll be finishing up the next two weeks uh, on the assignments of God, and we'll finish, we'll complete the letter, uh, the fin- we'll complete spelling out the word finish, and we'll finish up the last little bit of that. But on Sunday nights, I started uh, last uh, week uh, a, a thought of gratitude, not attitude about how we should express gratitude rather than our frustrations and our attitudes day to day. And so we're going to look at this story in a thanksgiving perspective, and you'll see where we're going to go with that in a moment. And then David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said to them, Is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said, Behold, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emiel in Lodabar. And the king, David, then king David, sent messengers to him from the house of Makar to the son of Emiel of Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face, prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, he said, Here am I, your servant. And David said unto him, Do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show you the kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you, yourself, shall eat of my table regularly. Tonight I want to talk to you on don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, to the very best of my ability, help me to preach the word of God like a man from another world. pray you take a coal from the altars of heaven. Anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare, Thus saith the word of Almighty God. I'm asking God that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, and you would let only your name and your word be glorified and be seen. I'm asking God that you would open the eyes and hearts and ears of the people of God, that they would forever be able to say that it was good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Father, I pray you would open up the word of the Lord to our eyes and our ears. Let it make residence in our hearts. And let us not just be hearers of this word, but Lord, let us be doers of it there likewise. And we will eternally be grateful and give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask. And the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord if you can tonight. Don't forget where you came from. Now many countless pastors, preachers, evangelists, teachers, Bible study scholars 
have taken this passage and exegetically and exegeted it to a point of, of no return. This story is very famous, no doubt. It has had countless uh, expository as well as exegetical and hermeneutical uh, study put behind it. They have talked about, you've heard sermons, and, and if you've lived long enough, probably you've been in a camp meeting service or some service where you've heard some preacher talk about going down to Lodabar and getting what belongs to you out of Lodabar and how Lodabar was a place of desolation. It was a place of depressed, uh, depressive state. It was not a good place to live and how God wants to get you out of that life and bring you into a new life. You've heard uh, probably messages about that, but I, I don't want to focus tonight so much on the place called Lodabar, and I don't even want to focus so much about, you know, I've heard sermons about, you know, when when things of your life that you can't, you know, help or control seem to cripple you spiritually, how God will send to someone your way, and, and we might briefly talk about that, but I don't want that to be the focal point, but I want us to look at the contrast and the comparison and the contrasting of two men in this story. One, by the name of David, who is currently sitting as the as the current reigning king of Israel. The other young man that's in this story is the guy by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, I want to compare and contrast a little bit these men before we jump right into the meat of this message because there's some things that are have to be essentially ironed out or, or, or carved out for us to really grasp the text that we're reading and talking about tonight. So we'll start with this man called David. David started out. I could imagine that David had been on these journeys in, in 2 Samuel chapters 6, 7, 8 and all these. You, you find where David had went out on these military conquests. They had went out on these journeys of, of, of military, uh, uh, if you will, uh, assignments. And they had won. And David had overcome and he had captured cities and he had beat Philistines. And he had, uh, he had put the land of Israel and the nation of Israel on the map as a, as a world power, if you will, of that day. Well, David gets back from all his Bible, all of his uh, conquest and his battles, and and he lays his armor down. And I could imagine, as we uh, begin to read chapter uh, number nine of Second Samuel, I imagine David sitting. He comes home, he takes off all of his battle gear, and he freshens up, he washes himself, he cleans himself up, and he gets back into his royal robes, and he gets back to the crown on his head, and, and you know, back in that days, they had like these, uh, they built the palaces with verandas, and I can imagine him having some kind of, you know, maybe some kind of silk or some kind of uh, uh, linen, uh, uh, if you will, uh, drapes that's just blowing by the breeze of the wind of the Jerusalem, uh, of the city of Jerusalem, because David had moved the capital from where it was under Saul's reign and he made it now Jerusalem as the capital city. He had brought the Ark of the Covenant and all that back and I can imagine he's standing there under the moonlight of a city of Jerusalem, sees all the lights flickering through town and the wind so gently breezing, blowing and, and just kissing and, and, and the side of his face and the, and the drapes to be waving and he begins to think, you know, I have, I don't deserve to be here. You know, I could imagine him sitting there maybe on some plush pillow or some kind of cot or something made for a king. And, and as he's sitting there watching the stars in the sky, I could imagine his mind starts to drift almost as a dream. And he starts his dream drifting to a Judean hillside where he remembers sitting out there watching some sheep. He's playing his harp and He's singing praises to the God. He's kumbaya in the sheep to death. Nobody else wants to hear him sing, so he sings to the sheep. 
And we know the picture Jesus talks about. You know, he's the shepherd, and we're the sheep, and and we know the pictorial, you know, pictorial reference to that. And but I can imagine David is singing so even so that the she, the sheep understand his voice. And we have preached on that. And I'm not going to go there tonight, but we have preached on that how the sheep need to know the voice of the shepherd and the voice of God. And they need to understand all of that, and that's great and that's wonderful. But I can imagine in his this this drifting off, if you will. He's a, he remembers the day he's sitting there and he's strumming. I don't know if he was playing Psalms 23. I don't know if he was playing Psalms 91. I don't know what psalm he was playing. Psalms 150. I don't know what psalm he was playing at the moment. When he heard from coming across the other side of the hill, David! David! He gets up off of his rock and he packs his harp up and he looks. He doesn't know who's calling, but obviously they know him by name. And off in the distance, he sees a servant of his father's house and says, David, David, your father is summoning for you. you got to come quickly, come quickly. Your father needs you to come so quickly. David's like, what do you mean? I can't leave the sheep. He said, don't worry about the sheep. Your father said, hurry. you got to hurry and get home. I can imagine as David's taking off running and he's asking the servant, what's it about? The servant's like, I don't know. Your dad just said, hurry up and come home. And I can imagine if it would have been like many of us when we get someone calling us frantically or yelling for us, we'd start thinking, oh God, what's happened? You know, if you got children and all of a sudden one of your children starts yelling, Mama! Daddy! They're not calling you because they're thirsty. They're calling you because there's something wrong. They've broken a window. The little brother's fell out the window and got a broken arm. And our jump, somebody jumped off the fence into the neighbor's yard, getting tore up by the dog but can't get over on the other side. Of, I mean, something wrong's happened. That's what they're yelling for. And, and so David, I don't know, he might have thought his dad had died. He maybe he thought a brother had gotten attacked by some animal. I, you know, I don't know. And he, he comes across the hill and he's running towards the house of Jesse, his father. And he gets across the hill and he looks over the, the hill and he sees his father's house. And in the distance he notices that everybody is standing outside the door. And no doubt, probably if he would have been like me, his first thought would have been, Oh God, what's happened? Everybody's standing outside. Where's my dad? Where's my mom? What's happened? Is it grandma? Is it grandpa? What happened? And as he gets closer, I can imagine his heart even sank more because he noticed the preacher was there. The preachers, he probably knew the preacher that day don't make social house calls for fun. Samuel's there. Oh God, what's happened? No doubt he probably walked up and said, What's going on? He sees all his brothers standing there like this, looking at him with furrowed brows and snarled noses with a look of disgust. The prophet of God says, that's him. That's the man. David's like, I'm no man. I'm a shepherd for a living. I play with sheep. This is, not, this is like one of the lowest esteemed jobs. This is, what do you mean I'm the man? Samuel says, kneel down. And he's like, what? And in this dream that I feel like David's having in this palace at this moment, in 2 Samuel, he remembers that the horn, the ram's horn, was full of oil. That's how they carried it in a pouch with the ram's horn to keep it secured. The man of God began to prophesy over his life and pour oil over his head. And I, rem- I can remind, I'm thinking probably in this story where David is rem- reminiscing this, he's probably remembering the psalm where he, he penned about how the, the oil ran down the beard of Aaron. And he probably thought, you know, in that moment, that was what that day was like as he sat there all ruddy and scruffy looking. 
And Samuel prophesied that one day you'll become the next king of Israel and, and the oil, the representation of the anointing of God is just poured over the man of God's life and he's prophetically, it may not be today, son, but one day you're going to be king. Now David could have been like, yeah, wow. You know what he did? You know what his dad did? <laughs> okay, boy, go find them sheep. Good, thanks for stopping in. Them sheep still out in the pasture. Go on back out there and watch my sheep, son. David, look, I just got anointed king. He said, I'm your daddy. I'll still tear your tail up. Get out there and take care of them sheep, son. I'll always be the king's daddy. I remember growing up as a kid, my dad had a big recliner. He still has one. He always had one, but he had this big recliner, and we always called it the king's throne because that's where my dad sat and barked orders when he wanted he would sit there and he'd say, hey, you going to the kitchen? I was like, no, I was actually going to the bathroom which I in the house. So he, I'd go to the restroom, I'd come back and he'd say, you headed to the kitchen now? Well, I'm headed that way to go out the back door. Well, since you're up, when you're grab, grabbing this and this out of the kitchen, I was like, you mean the whole time I went down the hallway to go to the restroom, you still sat here waiting for me to return, like on a far, far away journey to return so that I could go by the kitchen. Well, you're already up. There's no need for both of us to be up. I'm like, why not? You know? But in that moment, you know, we used to have this running joke. That was the king's chair. And every so often I'd sit down in that chair and he'd come in the house and my mom would say, oh, the prince is in your chair. And my father would say, I don't care who he thinks he is. He might be the prince. He might be a king one day in his house, but he'll always be the prince in my house. He'd walk around the corner and he'd say, Whoosh. that meant, I don't care who you are, get out my chair. I can imagine David father being like okay I don't care if you're the king get back out in the field well one day he's out there in the field as his dream takes place he still journeys he remembers the day where he heard them yelling his name again he comes running across the field he comes to his father's house his father says David your brothers are in battle they've been gone for a while I want you to go check on them he takes some food and you know the story he ends up fighting a, Goliath, a man by the name of Goliath, a nine and, and a half or so foot tall beast of a man. He goes back to shepherding. His mind keeps drifting. He remembers the day that they called again, but this time it wasn't his dad's servant. It was someone from Saul's palace. They said, David, David! He said, what? You've been summoned to go work in the royal palace. Leave your staff you got to take off your shepherd's clothes, son. You can't look like you're out here playing in the cow pastures. you got to drop the ruddiness. you got to shave your beard. You're going to have to look presentable, son. You're, you're moving up in the world. You're getting a promotion. There's a higher level of expectations. The higher you go up, and the higher you go up on a journey, the higher the expectations are. I can imagine David gets there, and he, they said, Bring your heart, though. Bring your heart. And David begins to play. and You know the story. He would, if you will, play when the vexing spirits of Saul would come out and he would when Saul would get depressed or he would get angry or, or, or in some ways possessed by demonic forces that David would sit in there and he would begin to play the songs of Zion to smooth and to calm the anger of the king. They said who is more skilled than David the son of Jesse to play to honor the king. Well then we have Mephibosheth We'll come back to David, but let's talk about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth comes from royalty from the start. He was never a shepherd. He never had to do life outside the palace. Grandpa was king, always had been king. 
Daddy was prince of Israel and daddy was next in line to be the king. So Mephibosheth, even if he never made it to be the king, it's kind of like the royal, uh, the British royal monarchical, monarchical system. You may not ever be the king, but if you're born into the, your brother might be king, but you'll always be a prince or a duke or something. You'll always be attached to the royal family. So here's where I want to pick up our thoughts tonight, and we're still going to compare and contrast. Don't empower position to be greater than posture. Don't allow the allure or the drawing of being in a place of position affect or be greater or become greater than your posture of prayer. See, David... David had become king. But David knew life outside of a palace. So as David is sitting there on that veranda and that couch and he he begins to think about where all had gone. Remember the title of the message was Don't Forget Where You Came From. David was sitting there thinking, you know, I have... I have played with dirty sheep. I have had to walk. I have fought lions. I have fought bears. I have fought giants. I have been in battle. I have been places that other people can't even begin to think. And I I was thinking about it today in my office when I was putting the final touches on this message. And as we had just came out of uh, Veterans Day just a couple days ago, there are people that have been in battles that we have never even could imagine what they've seen. The gunfire, the smoke, the artillery shells blowing up, the mortar, the bombs. They have seen things we can't even imagine in our eyes but even those people that have served so eloquently and given their lives and some that gave their life completely and some that gave just time and are still here for us to honor they might have had various positions or various rankings but they always knew when the head guy walked in they better be in the right posture you didn't wait for the the head you know the commanding officer to walk by and you didn't think what's up dude how you doing what's up man now your buddy who's a private or a, you know, if you're on the same ranking or if someone was below you in ranking, you might be like, hey, you know, what's up, whatever, you know, your buddy's buddy. But when the boss showed up, you didn't stand there going, what's up, Captain? How you doing? That wasn't going in well for you. <laughs> it, you could have men or ladies, depending on the branch or whatever, but they could be in they could be in the slouchest of just hanging out, sitting in the mess hall, doing whatever, whatever. But when the big wig got there, everybody, because they did not allow their current position to be greater than their posture when they knew someone bigger, better, and maybe even more qualified walked into the room. They knew that, and they respected and honored that. David realized he might be the king. But there was a day that he was just a shepherd. He was just a boy. But in this story, Mephibosheth, all he's known is the palace. But now he's living like a pauper. You do not find, what I just read to you, you do not find one reference to him living in a place that is an exciting mansion, house for royalty. He wasn't the Duke of Earl, the Duke of Wales, the Duke of whatever. There's nowhere in Scripture you find where Mephibosheth was ever once recognized to be living in a place of prominence. But everywhere in Scripture 
You look at Mephibosheth, it says he was down in Lodabar. Lodabar was a nasty place. It was a dry place. It was almost a deserted place. That's why the Bible said he lived down in Lodabar. Don't miss that word. It was, nobody wanted to live in Lodabar. Nobody signed up to live in that place. So the former prince of the entire nation of Israel is now experiencing life in the slums with the paupers, the, the common folk, the random peasants of town. We obviously know that he must have become of an object of obscurity because David didn't even know he existed. Don't misread the story. Don't you think it's kind of like a pastor assuming the new role of a pastor of a church. Don't you think most pastors, when they come in, if they go to a church that I, like Dylan celebrated their 100th, and then there's a church in Ohio, that uh, uh, Princeton Pike, that has a very long, prestigious list of, of, of former general overseers and state overseers and people that have pastored that church and uh, notoriety. And I have been in churches that have long-standing histories and things like that. And I'll use Princeton Pike, for example, and other churches like that. But don't you think if, 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 if new pastor walks in the door and he walks by the Hall of Fame, if you will, and he starts noticing names like uh, T.L. Lowry and Dennis McGuire and Tim Hill, and whatever it is, all of a sudden he's going to realize he's standing in a place of, uh, of, of prominence, if you will, or a place that's a, a pretty important place. And he's going to respect and he's going to be like, look, I, I, these are some generals of the faith. And to find out, oh, well, brother, so-and-so's family comes, still comes to church here. In fact, in Dillon, brother Dennis, Dr. Dennis McGuire still has family there. You know, and so there's people there today at the 100th celebration walking up to that family and being like, look, I, I know that Brother McGuire couldn't be here, but man, just thank you for being here, etc., so on and so forth. We obviously know Mephibosheth became an object of obscurity because David didn't even know any of the royal family still existed. Didn't even know. He asks, does anybody know if Saul has any more people? Now here's the critical part. David's best friend was a guy by the name of Jonathan. In fact, Jonathan more than once saved David's hide from getting killed. Because Saul wanted him dead. And David went off running and Jonathan would cover for him. And finally the day came where Jonathan said, here's the plan. I'm going to talk to my dad and see how it goes. If it goes bad, I'm going to send my servant out here and I'm going to shoot some bows and arrows. I'm going to shoot some arrows with my bow. If I tell the servant that the arrow, he's ran too far and the arrow is closer, come back. That means that's my signal to tell you that my dad's anger is relented. You can come back. But if I shoot the arrow and the lad says, where is it? And I said, oh, it's far beyond you. Keep going. That's my cue to tell you my dad's anger is not relented. You need to run because he's searching for your life. You know the story. Jonathan shoots the arrows, tells the whole boy to keep going. To basically cue David when the little boy kind of disappears. David pops out from behind the bushes. They embrace. The Bible said they wept. They kissed each other on the cheek. They wept and they separated. David walked away from his best friend in that moment. Don't you think when David became king he hurt? Because the Bible said that when Saul was chasing him. And you know the cave where he cuts off his robe and all this stuff. The Bible says you know David got the word that Saul and Jonathan died in battle. You know he did. That's how he became king. Because Jonathan would have assumed the throne. He heard his heart was heavy. He knew, he knew Jonathan died. Don't you think best friends would have asked, hey, how's their children holding up? That's what we ask. If someone drops dead that we know personally, the first thing we say is, oh, well, how's their wife or how's their husband holding up? How, oh, didn't they have some kids? How are their kids? 
Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. How did David not know for this long period of time? Because Mephibosheth had become an object of obscurity. Because during one of those great battles and conquests of Saul's rampage and anger when he was being overtaken, him and Jonathan went to defend the, the nation, but the nurse got concerned and she freaked out that they were going to be overtaken, so she tried to grab all of the royal heirs, as many as she could, and she picked up this toddler, this two or three-year-old little boy, and grabbed him up in haste, and as she was running, she tripped and fell. As she fell, she dropped this baby, crippled, paralyzed him. You know, they don't have modern medicine like they do that. She paralyzed the boy. And Mephibosheth is crippled. So she takes him and she hides him. And what happens is because of his crippling disease and because of... He didn't cripple himself. Somebody else crippled him. But because of the effects of somebody else's crippling effect on his life, it changed the trajectory of his entire history and destiny of life. Because he became a, a, if you will, disabled person. Nobody wanted a disabled king, so he got shuffled to the back. Nobody. He literally, because of his disability, became forgotten. He became a welfare case. He became a pauper. He went from being the prince to the pauper, and it wasn't even his fault. I was thinking about this in my office today. How often... And we won't get to all three points today. We'll get to the rest next week because I'm not going to keep you today very long. I began to think in my office today how many people have been crippled by other people that they didn't even ask for it, but they had things change their life and they did not even ask for it to happen to them. I have. I have. I mean, I've shared a story here before and she would show up here. She knows I'm not telling anything that's not truth or factual. I didn't ask to be divorced. I didn't ask for that. I got that based on some decisions other people made. <laughs> I didn't ask for that. I, in essence, got crippled in that moment of time. Thank God for regenerating power. But in that moment of time, I got crippled for somebody else's decisions. I got I had child support that I had to pay, and I wasn't even the one that was wanting to walk out at the time. I had decisions that I had to make and things that that literally affected me. Now, thankfully, the Lord worked other things out, and God always has a plan. But decisions of other people put me in there for a season of time in a place that I didn't want to be. I began to think, I wonder how many people have been in places in their lives not because they wanted to be there or asked to be there, but other people put them in that place. Put them in that box. Put them in that place, that moment. Whether it's divorce, finances. I have a family member right now who's married, had three beautiful babies, three beautiful kids. His wife went bananas. It's the nicest way I can say it. Lost her marbles. She never really had a lot of them to start with, but she lost a few she had. She decided, I don't want to be married anymore either. She made her decision. But in this case, the difference is she basically got an all-female judge, said my particular family member was a deadbeat dad, and he drank all the time, which none of that was factual or true. 
and got that judge to award her full custody, and she's ripped his kids. He's paying, and he doesn't get—he has no rights to see those children that he pays for. He didn't ask for that. That's not—that was—he breaks his heart. He's recently started dating a girl. They, they, the, him and his wife been divorced for a couple of years now. He recently started dating a girl who has a little boy, and and I see my my family member constantly. Taking him places, doing things with him, all kinds of taking him fishing, all that stuff. And somebody said to me, he said, why does he spend so much time with that kid? I said, because he misses his kids. He's pouring into this kid because he doesn't have anybody else to do it with. He can't take his son fishing. He wants to, but he's not allowed to. And it was all Trump. It was non-factual. It was just a female judge who decided to side with the mother. I'm not going to spread things, but <laughs> Ms. Sherry and I have had countless conversations with things in her family's life, things they didn't ask for. With her grandchildren. But it didn't matter. We didn't get a vote. There was no, we got a vote. The other party seemed to win out. They they got to all, and it was like, that's not what I asked for. Mephibosheth was like that. I was in the palace. I lived a life of royalty. You dropped me. You changed my life. Nurse is all, by this point, dead and gone. But Mephibosheth is still living with the scars of what somebody else did to him. See, at one point, Mephibosheth had a position in the kingdom. He was this prince. He was a, he was a head honcho. Everybody knew Prince Mephibosheth. David was out in a pasture playing his harp, so he had, if you will, a posture of worship and prayer, and it seems like these two men's lives have went and swapped roles. David is now sitting in a position... And Mephibosheth is sitting in Lodabar in a posture of crippled and abandoned. So we have to be careful not to empower position to become greater than posture. Because once we think that we have arrived and we don't and we forget where we've been brought from, once we think we've arrived, if we're not careful, it will cripple us in the long run. The things we think have made us arrive may be the very things that cripple us for the rest of our lives. Mephibosheth came out of the womb with a robe on. I'm a prince. But being a prince in the middle of a a contentious battle, rushing out the door, crippled him and changed his whole life. See, when people, I've heard this countless times, Ms. Carol, you make your way, means nothing, but it makes everybody feel good. I've heard, I have seen countless times where people will say, oh, pastor, I, I just socially drink. Okay, I don't really know what that means, but okay. I'm not that educated. I don't understand some of the language like that, but. Oh, I can hold my alcohol. See, what I've learned, Sister Alma, through my uncle who was a drunk, my cousins who used to be like that, and others. Yeah, when they first started drinking, they might only drink one or two, and then after a while they became tolerant, so they started drinking three or four, and they then got to cases or whatever else. Some of them, unfortunately, still drove, and they shouldn't have, and thank God nothing tragic happened in any of my family because of that, but praise God for His providence and mercy on that, truly. But what I learned, Brother Robert, was Every time they thought they had it under control, they took it a step further. Once they felt like, I got this, 
what's this going to do to me? I'm good. All these other people out here laying out drunk, doing stupid stuff. I don't like like I got it. You know what ended up happening? Over a long, uh, over a period of time, eventually what happened, it started costing them their family. Spouses walked out on them. Children abandoned them. Grandchildren were taken from them. And before, thankfully, most of my family, thank the Lord, most of them have salvaged and realized it and gave gave that stuff up before they too late. But I've heard countless stories of other people. It was too late by the time they realized it. It was all gone. They thought they had arrived. They thought, that ain't going to do that's That's everybody else's story. That ain't going to happen to me. But it did happen to them. There are times in our lives where we don't ask for things to happen to us, but they just do. David realized on that veranda that night, I really wasn't qualified to be in this position. And the only reason he was in that position is because he realized that he could not allow positions to be greater than his posture. Because before he ever sat down on a throne, he sat down in the grass with sheep. He sat down on rocks with common folk. And the reason the nation of Israel eventually heralded David as one of the greatest kings of all of the nation of Israel's history is because David was always a king of the people or the people's king. He never forgot where he came from. Now, I said, as I get ready to close here and, 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 and let you out uh, this evening for, for, for worship, the title track or the title message tonight was Don't Forget, and we'll, keep, we'll do part two next week, but Don't Forget Where You Came From. I have heard that phrase so many times when people and their families or certain groups of people and their families feel like they're better than the rest of their family. You know, everybody, you know, the whole entire family went to Berkeley High School, the whole entire family lived in Berkeley County, the whole entire family worked blue-collar jobs. One little Johnny and one little Sally thought that that wasn't a life for them. They're better than that, so they went off to college, and then they went off to get a master's degree, then they went off and got a doctor's degree, they moved off to Charlotte or Atlanta or some big thing. They don't call mama or grandma, but they don't want people to know they came from a little town of Cordsville or St. Stephen or Bono or Macedonia or, you know, from the swamps of the tail race. They don't want people to know that. They just tell them, oh, I'm from the low country of South Carolina, so that covers a lot of places, not where in South Carolina. And, and I've, heard, I've heard countless people. I remember one of my friends... His grandmother, she was just a sweetheart, but she was, um, she was very, uh, she never, she never thought about what she said. She just said it and then thought about after what she, afterwards. She said it and then thought, probably shouldn't have said it. Too late, she said it. Uh, she was that kind of lady. And I remember so many times she'd say to her grandchildren, now you understand, you listen to me. Don't you ever think that you, that, that you're too big for your britches. Don't you ever think you go off and you do this and you do that and you do the other. Don't you ever forget. That these people down here that work blue-collar jobs paid for you to have an education, son. And don't you forget when you become the doctor in town, don't you forget and be like, I don't want anybody to know that my family lives, you know, in the trailer park or lives where. Don't you forget, don't, we're here, and, 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 we're, and don't you forget that you came from this area too, and had it not been for us having to live where we live and do what we do, we could have had a better life, but there's a lot of things we did, so you had a chance. And she used to tell, us, tell him and others all the time, don't you ever forget where you came from. Don't you forget where you came from. Can I say to you tonight, 
And we'll pick up the rest. But can I say to you tonight, for this first point of this story, we talk about don't empower position to be bigger or become greater than posture. In the church world especially, and I'm not even talking political world, politics, but just church world and church politics, so many people get caught up on their position in the kingdom. I'm the senior pastor. I'm the associate pastor. I, I've got to get a bigger church. i got to have more tithe. i got to have more people. They get so caught up on the positions that they have, they forgot about where they came from before God gave them the position. Because God said before you can stand here, you got to know how to kneel there. Before you can preach here and earn and give, if you will, the or been given the honor to be heard by what you say, you got to first know how to sit in a pew and let somebody else tell you how to live and let somebody preach to you and let somebody speak into your life. And, and what happens is those same men and women that used to sit on those pews, God called them, but for a season of time they had to sit under somebody else until they got that respect or the, the right to be heard, if you will. And some people, once they get behind the lectern and behind the light, they forgot where they came from. They forgot they sat on pews like this or sawdust floors or metal fold, folding chairs. They forgot that they once were with the common people. They weren't always the general overseer. They weren't always the state overseer. They weren't always on certain boards and committees. They weren't always notoriety. Sometimes they were just common people. So we cannot allow in our moments of life the allure, if you will, of position and power to overtake and become greater than the ability to kneel at an altar and pray, shake a brother or sister's hand at church, Pray with someone at Walmart. Greet a stranger in the name of the Lord. I don't care if I heard about some of the guests that were here today that came and visited. I don't care if they are a multi-million dollar CFO and CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Or if they're like Walter today who said he's homeless and he walked in this church. I will not ever shake hands with only the people that are going to pay more money have more nickels and dimes and snarl my noses at people who have nothing at the end of the day God be God is my witness and the Lord deal with me accordingly if I should ever do so but the day that a homeless person or someone who's not real well off can't come to church here or can't be welcome feel welcomed here or can't shake the pastor's hand I'm just going to say it I know it's going to probably get me in trouble but I'm leaving to go to Greenville so I'll have a head start on most of you anyway I struggle with people that are so anointed you can't touch them. It bothers me. I understand if you're the general overseer of the church of God, you're preaching and then they take you off to the side room because they don't want 500 people that can't mean to come up there and ask you for a pastoral change. I get why you don't necessarily want to be thronged with people. But there ever comes a day that I have to have, you know, if we grow to a church size that we have a you know, security team and they follow me around because, you know, safety purposes. That's understandable. I have no issues. That's, you know, I, people that have to do that, I get that. But if there ever comes a day that people like Brother Randy or Brother Mike or Brother Larry have me surrounded and I'm walking out of the door and some little senior saint of God or some little, you know, uh, patriarch or matriarch of the faith or even someone like Walter walks into the church and my security detail has to say, no, 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 you can't touch the pastor right now. I'm firing every one of those men. That moment they have no job. I don't work for the church. 
I work for him. And the end of the day, God said, my assignment is to reach people, tell them Jesus loves them, help them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. People say, oh, well, they can't, I'm, they're still anointing. Don't touch them, you'll take them out of their anointing. You're going to tell me God doesn't know they need to be touched. So if the anointing, if your anointing is so fleeting that someone like Sister Alma can come touch me on the shoulder and take me out of my anointing, then I question what kind of anointing you have because God knows her heart and He knows who I am. And so there's no way that if she comes to talk to me or ask me to pray for her and she touches me, God removes His anointing in that moment. No way that happens. We cannot allow position to become greater than our posture of prayer, of worship, etc. You know, I didn't get the privilege of seeing Walter today. I hope he comes back. But if Walter walks in next Sunday morning and a multi-millionaire walks in next Sunday morning with a suit more expensive than my house, and that guy walks by and says, Pastor, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, your building program and things you got going in the church. I'm going to say, Brother, so glad. I'd love to talk to you. But can you just sit right there in my office because you see that man right there? I, I need to speak to him before he leaves. Because every person matters to Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, rich people and tax collectors, he, he ministered to. But the poor and the disenfranchised, the widows, the orphans of society, he ministered to. Don't let our position in the kingdom become greater than our posture within the kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, to the best of my ability, I have tried to teach your word today God let us never get to a point that we forget where we came from we were men and women of sin men and women of transgressions men and women that did not deserve saving and certainly did not deserve heaven but because of the providential hand of the Lord the sacrificial shedding of blood from the all-sufficient Savior and the Son of the living God. We have traded unrighteousness for righteousness and filthy rags for garments of praise and robes of righteousness. So God, today I pray when we leave this place, don't let us allow the prestige, if you will, or the, the allure of, of, of a position become greater than the posture from which we came. The posture of prayer, the posture of fasting, the posture of worship. Never let us forsake what got us to this moment, what got us to this landmark, what brought us this far. Never let us forsake the assembling of ourselves. Never let us forget our history of our past and where we've come from. Never let us forget where you brought us from and what the God that we experienced in way back yonder years and the power of God we experienced back then. Don't let that become just a memory, but God, something that springs boards and keeps us with that same fire and tenacity. Don't let allow positions to become greater than the posture of who we are. Never let us forget from where which we came. Because we were nothing, as the old song says, until you found us. We were nothing. We were broken shells of humanity. But thanks be unto God his love and his mercy sent a savior to redeem us to save us and grant us access to the portals of glory 
Father, before we pray the benedictory prayer, let me say over this congregation and online viewers, viewers tonight, may you bless us and keep us, and may you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, lift up your countenance towards us, and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. Let the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, our Lord and blessed Rock and Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, and the people of God together said amen.